Hi, everybody. Welcome to April 12th, 2019 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Gazzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. I'd also like to thank a very special thank you to Patty Calhoun, who filled in for me last week. I hope you all enjoyed the thoughtful and insightful questions she provided. We'll be back to lowering our standards on questions this week. <laughs> Let's get a quick take on the 2019 election, Denver election, with ballots going out April 15th. Voters will decide the mayoral race, city council seats, the right to rest issue, and even magic mushrooms. Patty, an enormous ballot is coming to your mailbox soon. Uh, what do you think of the race and, I guess, the vibe of the election race so far? The race has been pretty quiet so far, but it is really heating up right now. Initiative 300, the Right to Survive initiative, is causing a lot of trouble. There's bad campaigning. There's a lot of money. $1.5 on the no um, no on 300 campaign. So we're going to, it is not going to be safe going to your mailbox, picking up your phone. You are going to be barraged. We've got very competitive city council races, and then we do have many candidates for mayor. So everybody should be voting. Last, last um, May election, we were under 30%. We can do better. Joey Bunch, Deputy Managing Editor at Colorado Politics. It is wonderful to have you back. Yeah. Joey, I've had a hard time getting a feel for any, I haven't seen any polling data. I haven't. I, I can't get a feel for the the mojo of the races, whether it's the mayoral race or how mm -hmm. Initiative 300 is going. Do you have any sense, or have you heard from anybody else that gives you a sense of how it's going? Yeah. Well, you know, we we talk on this panel a lot about the clown car. Well, this is a clown bus because we've got so many candidates in the mayor's race and the city council races that I think voters are just going to have fatigue by the time that they can, you know, figure out all these candidates and figure out all these issues. But I think, ultimately, Michael Hancock survives, and I predict that he might even do it without a runoff. You know, because you divide up, it's just simple math. You divide up the anti-Hancock vote so many different ways. And let me tell you, you know, Pinfield Tate, Jamie Gillis, Lisa Calderon, those are excellent candidates. But I just don't think the math works in favor of the challengers this year. Eric Soderman, political analyst, fresh from an international trip. Where you saw, I, I, I love to hear, uh, later we can talk about that you ran into CIO fans across the world, <laughs> literally across the world. Uh, Eric, what do you think? What's, what's your vibe of what's going on, especially seeing the most expensive ballot issue race in Denver history? I keep trying to ask myself, Dominic, what's different about this mayoral election? We'll get to the ballot issue than in the past because it just hasn't engaged quite like we're used to them engaging. I come up with two reasons. One is, you know, in past years, I go back to web races, Pena races, early Hickenlooper races, we had two robust newspapers in this town. One of them is now gone. The other one is obviously a shadow of what it used to be. I remember races where each paper had two reporters assigned full-time to the campaign, four total. That, that just doesn't exist now. Yeah, you have Colorado politics and Denver right and a whole bunch of other new voices, but it's not the same kind um, of, of critical mass. Secondly, Donald Trump, what does he have to do with the mayoral race? He takes up so much political oxygen these days. I think Washington, D.C. just sucks up all the political oxygen. It's a finite supply. There's less of it available here. I'll differ with Joey. I think the likelihood. I think it's going to be close of whether this thing goes to a runoff or not, but I think the likelihood is that we do see a runoff, that there is enough of a market out there for somebody else 
that between those three other candidates, Calderon, Gillis, Tate, um, that, that they can combine get over 50, which is what they need between them, and then the other couple candidates on the edges, um, to, get, to, to force a runoff. And then it's one-on-one and uh, on no holds barred. 300 is an interesting issue. It's pitting friend against friend, foe against foe in this town. It's creating a lot of ugliness. I think it is a silly proposition perhaps well-intentioned, but uh, with awful consequences. But it uh, will be interesting to see if all that money can take it down. Chris Akiva rounds out our panel, uh, the columnist of the Denver Post and radio talk show host, K- uh, KHOW, right? It is indeed. And, uh, yeah, a little bit later than drive time, but what, yeah, six, six to, to eight. Six to eight? Six to eight? While you're making dinner. Uh, perfect. That's a perfect time to listen to Chris. Well, as a radio talk show host, you, you're hearing from a, a certain part of Denver. What's your vibe of how the election's going? I think there's a great concern about Initiative 300, this idea that people have a right to camp out in parks. You're going to have a, we already have a lot of vagrancy in this in the city now. I think we're going to go a little closer to Seattle, a little closer to San Francisco with people staying in a state of homelessness and, and dependency and, and not getting the help that they need. Even the Denver Rescue Mission has said, this is a bad idea. We need to get people who are struggling with homelessness issues, addiction and, and poor choices, as well as mental illness getting them out of that environment and into a place where their basic needs can be met and they can get help to move off the street and into permanent housing. I I, I think it's going to be a nightmare for the city. We might as well rename Denver, San Francisco at that point. You add to it the quasi-legalization of magic mushrooms. Again, not a great idea. I think we could see some more... um, bad side effects of, of drug addiction in this city with, with regard to crashes, hospitalizations, and so forth. Not a good thing. The University of Colorado Regents named former Minnesota Congressman Mark Kennedy as its sole finalist to replace President Bruce Benson. The decision has come under fire due to uh, more research being into the voting record of Kennedy in Congress where he voted against uh, both civil unions and a variety of other issues that are causing critics to uh, come up, wait a second, there wasn't any other finalist to offer? Patty, uh, do you think the regions expected this kind of uh, a blow-up from their announcement, especially of a sole finalist for the position? I think the regions, since they are regions for a university system, maybe have heard of the term Google. What they needed to do was do a little Googling on Mark Kennedy and realize that whatever his record at in North Dakota, he had a record when he was in Congress, too, which is very conservative, very at odds with what you're going to find in Boulder, which is the flagship. Now, Bruce Benson, who is a Republican, who's been the president, has shown that this is not really a position for someone who is an academic. I mean, it is a political position. You are lobbying the legislators. You are raising money. But you could probably find someone more in sync with not just Boulder, but with Colorado than Mark Kennedy. It's not just that he was the sole finalist. It was that he was so ill-advised that he announced he was the sole. You know, he basically told his college, I'm out of here, North Dakota. And then meanwhile, they are so uh, they are not taking it well because he essentially called the state full of racists and misogynists because if you'd Googled, you would have seen he was in trouble, not just for his votes in Congress, but he had 
a chief assistant who he gave a $30,000 raise to, let her move to Texas, gave her $25,000 to move to Texas, and let her work remotely. That was his plan. And when people criticized it in North Dakota, he told the Boulder camera they were basically being racist because she was African-American. I think any one of us at this table could tell you we don't care what color our public employees are, but they should probably work within the same state. That would certainly be ideal. You think that'd be part of the package. Uh, Joey, uh, do you sense any sort of political fallout for the regions that have to now respond to not only the criticism of the voting record, but also uh, of providing a sole finalist? Even if this guy came out like an angel, one uh, a, a sole finalist is not a, a good press release make. What do you think? Right. Well, you know, Bruce Benson proves that, um, that the president doesn't have to uh, necessarily reflect the student body. You know, you don't find people much more conservative than Bruce Benson, and I think that he's had a very successful tenure at CU, and he inherited a ship that was in trouble, both financially and in terms of, of controversy. You know, Kennedy's going to be great for reporters. I can already see that, uh, that, that he's going to be fun to cover. But you know what Bruce Benson was really good at? He was good at raising money, and I think that's the job that, uh, that you know, that that's the position that they're looking to fill. And you know, Kennedy has run a university, the University of North Dakota. And before he was in Congress, he, uh, he worked for Pillsbury, so he knows how to raise dough. <laughs> See, this is why we call Joey Bunch ratings gold. You just don't get that from any other panelist. Thank you, Joey. Uh, Eric, um, do you see any, I guess, uh, repercussions for the regions? Do they need to have more explanation? It was a unanimous vote, so it's not as if they can say, well, you know, let us rethink this, but there still technically is this waiting period before a vote. Is the, could that be fraught with problems for Mark Kennedy? I think it is fraught with problems. I think this thing is going to get hotter before it cools off. I think it could go either way. Um, remember the use of the word regents. It's occurred to me that maybe the Board of Regents needs some regents um, to, uh, to, to run this thing and, um, and, and, and bring some adult supervision here. I thought the story in this morning's Denver Post made the regents look very weak, that their hand got forced by some report in the Grand Forks newspaper that maybe jumped the gun by 24 hours or something and didn't allow the regions to do full vetting. You have to assume something like that is going to leak. You have to have your vetting done in a timely way. Patty's absolutely right with this uh, newfound invention called Google. This is not, you know, this is not deep research that uncovered all of this. We heard some of the same music all those years ago when Bruce Benson was named a finalist and then appointed to the job, given his conservative background in Colorado Republican politics, etc. The difference was Bruce Benson had enough of a reservoir of support and people who knew him in this town to rally in his favor and talk about all the assets he would bring to the institution. I'm not sure that reservoir of support exists for somebody from out of state that no one had ever heard of until 48 hours ago. So we'll, we'll, it'd be interesting to see if Mark Kennedy can survive. I have to note, I think it is just bad practice as a general rule, but it's becoming the rule now to only have one finalist for all these high-profile jobs, whether it's at CU, at CSU, in Denver Public Schools recently. You can go on. I mean, at that point, it's not a finalist. It's a presumptive candidate. It's a presumptive uh, designee. Uh, let's at least get our vernacular straight and you know, maybe present uh, some alternatives here. Chris, as been said here, conservatives have successfully led the CU school system for many years. We had Hank Brown before Bruce Benson. So being conservative is not necessarily a deal breaker. You're not running for mayor of Boulder. 
But how this was handled uh, seems to be a bigger case. Are you sensing any voices in the regions that will hear a, I was for it before I was against it, uh, maybe in a couple, in, I guess it was it 30 days or so? Uh, you know, it's going to be an interesting week. But here's the thing. If you pick a politician, you're going to have somebody who makes good speeches, somebody who can handle the legislature, and somebody who can raise money. And there's also going to be a treasure trove of oppo research possible, possibilities in terms of votes, in terms of things said. And I think the personnel issue, how he handled that, is, um, is important because you do personnel issues when you, you handle those when you are a CU president. Um, however, if they say that we're not going to choose him because of how he voted, they're basically saying that we're intolerant of conservatives, despite the fact that the last two were presidents. And CU, they love to talk, they talk a good game about tolerance. We, <laughs> we love diversity. We love diversity. Well, if you, if you say that you don't want him now because of conservative votes that he, take, he took, you're basically calling yourself a hypocrite. So CU, if there really is a s- significant issue with this personnel situation, then fine. I think that's significant. If you're going to dump him now, because you don't like the way he voted, then you're maybe showing your true colors on diversity and on tolerance. Senator Cory Gardner announced that he will vote against confirming Herman Cain for a spot on the Federal Reserve Board, joining three other GOP senators. Meanwhile, he also announced that he, that he also voted for David Bernhardt to become the next Secretary of the Interior. Uh, Joey, this was, I think, a perfect week in uh, watching the tightrope that Cory Gardner walks. I'm going to be against President Trump, who had not yet nominated Herman Cain, but said he was his top choice Federal Reserve Board. And joining those three other GOP senators essentially said, hey, it wasn't going to happen because they didn't have the votes to do it. In the meanwhile, in the meanwhile part, uh, voting for David Bernhardt, who comes with his own, I guess, attached to baggage. Ryan Zinke, who he replaces, he was his deputy. Ryan Zinke did not have a uh, clean record, I guess is the best way to put it. Uh, what do you make of the tightrope Cory Gardner is walking and his votes and non-votes? I think it's a very tightrope because Cory, you know, he's the guy who called President Trump a buffoon a couple of years ago, and then he flip-flopped on the border wall, and he's come out and endorsed uh, Trump way before he had to. It's a tough call. You know, they say in Colorado, people like Eric Sonderman tell me that you can't win with your base, and you can't win without it in this case. Uh, I think I said that backwards, without it, and it's hard to win with this Trump base in Colorado. I don't envy Corey. Now, on the Bernhardt thing, these guys have been friends for 20 years. Dave Bernhardt grew up in Rifle, and he saw what the boom and bust economy of the oil and gas industry can do to real people on the ground. And, you know, the people that are uh, are uh, trying to tar and feather David Bernhardt, it's because he, uh, he worked as representing the oil and gas industry. But those people aren't going to like anybody that, that Trump nominates for that position. They definitely didn't like Ryan Zinke, and Zinke d- was glad to help him out. So, uh, you know, Bernhardt's a Coloradan. He'll be the, uh, the seventh Coloradan to, to be the Secretary of Interior. And if my prediction holds true, uh, uh, John Hickenlooper will be the eighth. Wow. Bold, bold <laughs> predictions here, Joey. Well done. Uh, Eric, what do you think of both of I me? Mean, you have two big votes and non-votes here to choose from and the tightrope that Cory Gardner is walking. Take your pick. It is a tightrope. I think it shows Cory Gardner to be a discerning guy. He doesn't always discern it the way I might discern it. But in this case, and I largely agree with Joey, uh, David Bernhardt, it's a, it's a conservative administration. Election have consequences. And David Bernhardt is a representative of this administration. He is, no one has questioned really his ethics, yes, by connection to Zinke. No one's certainly questioned his work ethic. He's a very hardworking guy. He's a diligent guy. And he is a conservative with a background in oil and gas. 
and there was no surprise that Cory Gardner was going to support him in those circumstances, and no surprise that the Republican Senate was going to confirm him. Herman Cain, on the other hand, I don't know if five people in this country who study economics at any level, much less a serious level, who take Herman Cain all that seriously. It was a joke when he was a presidential candidate. Um, the notion of now that the qualification for serving on the board of the Federal Reserve is that you're a talking head on cable TV, which seems to be the new Trump qualification. I'm no slur on talking heads. A number of us, or all of us, I guess, <laughs> fill that role. But I'm not, sure, I'm not sure that qualifies us to serve on the board of the Federal Reserve. But in this president's eyes, that's what he's looking for. Uh, Chris, we hope you're not, uh, we're not ruining your, or maybe we're actually you know, helping promote a, a potential uh, secretary appointment sometime, this soon, uh, sometime <laughs> soon. But uh, what do you make of uh, the decisions that uh, Cory Gardner is announcing and the particular people attached? You have Bernhardt, you have Kane, and what, Card what Gardner's deciding? No, he, uh, Senator Gardner's in a difficult position. He's definitely a funambulist. He's up there on the wire. He's got to make choices that are tough. His base is tough. There are a lot of great people in the state that support him, but there's also this kind of hardcore faction of, of purists, uh, Trump supporters that are difficult to please, to say the least. Bernhard is a serious, a serious candidate um, for that position. He's got experience in oil and gas, and of course, you know, with multiple use doctrine, uh, uh, resource extraction is one of the things that we do with our public lands. We've got recreation and conservation, and and, and but we also have things like timber. Um, grazing and also oil and gas. It's very important for our economy. So I think he's a serious contender. Herman Cain, businessman, also the fact that he did serve on the Kansas City uh, Federal uh, Fed Board, um, which gives him some experience, but I don't think he's a serious contender. The way that Senator Gardner made a choice on this, supporting somebody who was serious and, and choosing a, a, an opportunity to show that he is an independent senator, even though he is a Republican, gives him that opportunity to say no to Kane. I think it's smart. Patty, what do you think? I mean, David Bernhardt, as Joey put it, the seventh Colorado and become Secretary of the Interior. Well, I'm looking forward to Eric as head of the Federal Reserve, and that that won't be controversial at all when that happens. Um, you know, I've said this before about Cory Gardner. Sometimes you think he actually is making decisions from a personal vantage point, not a political one. I mean, the Herman Cain one is pretty easy call. No matter where you are politically, no matter where your base is, is this the best we can do? David Bernhardt, too, is another one where you feel it's much more personal because they have been friends. They have been colleagues. I don't think he is going to heap a lot of glory on this state. Let's just hope he's not digging it up at the same time. We survived James Watt. We survived Gail Norton. We can probably survive David Bernhardt, even though he has conflicts galore. And it's not just having worked for Zinke. He worked for Brownstein Hyatt. He has all these oil and gas clients. So we'll, people will be watching closely to see if decisions are benefiting former clients. The state Senate Finance Committee voted 4-3 to three this week to pass a paid family leave bill that would create a program to allow employees to take time off for family and medical leave. Senate sponsors Faith Winter and Angela Williams made amendments to the bill, including an option to let private employers opt out. Uh, Eric, this seemed, uh, it wasn't, I guess, one of the main headlines from the Democratic, uh, I guess, agenda or platform going into the election, but it was a big deal. And I, I have not read the bill. I don't do the kind of research that David does, but at very least, it feels a little watered down. Is this still a win on this issue? Well, it depends who you are, you know, and how you're uh, keeping score, whether it's a win or not. I think for the Advocates for Family Leave for Democratic Party, yes, it is a win. Maybe they trimmed their sales a little bit, but only a little bit. The opponents, 
are still the opponents. It's not like they bought their opponents into becoming uh, supporters. I think the slogan for the Democratic Party at the Capitol this year is, quite frankly, go big or go home. And they are going big in almost every respect and almost on almost every issue, I guess the death penalty being uh, the one exception. I don't think most serious people argue with family leave as a reasonable cause, a reasonable goal, even a reasonable government function to secure it. The devil is always in the details. The question here is, is the thing too big? Is it too broad? Does it tax the right people? Does it penalize people who shouldn't be penalized because they've had very good family leave programs? Their companies have had great programs already in place. The devil is always in the details, and this is definitely under the heading of go big or go home. Krista, what do you think? I mean, as Eric said, it's, it's, I think no one's really against people getting time off for family leave, but how it's paid for and who pays for it is uh, usually a question. What do you think of the passage of this bill through at least the Senate? Well, I hope it doesn't pass. I mean, the fact is is that it's a big tax, a billion-dollar tax. The, the Remy Partnership Common Sense Policy Roundtable put out an excellent report showing that this could hurt the economy. Also, the way it's structured, you can game the system pretty easily. You can take off time, even work part-time for somebody else while you're taking off time. And when they crunched the, mon the, the numbers, they figured out that the money coming in for the program may not pay for the money going out. Also, it is essentially a tax. I mean, it, I know they're calling it a fee, but I think we, sh we should call it what it is. It's a billion-dollar tax increase on businesses and individuals. And, you know, it, it's, it's tough. I actually helped participate in my dad's care when he got terminal cancer. I worked around that, um, working full-time while also helping. Uh, one of the ways that you can, can um, set yourself up for success is to set aside money so that you can take time off and be willing to help a friend if they can't set aside money. But having the government do this opens it up to too much fraud and really hurts people who have made other choices. I think this thing needs to go down. Patty, with all the changes, do you think it faces trouble in the House? Well, I would say go big or opt out is now the slogan on this one, which is a little different than go home. It could squeak by in the House. This is challenging for a variety of reasons, especially when you look at small business people in Colorado who are facing increased minimum wage, raising, rising rents. I mean, it's tough if you talk to a lot of the small businesses out there how they're going to make it. So I think if more of them get the ear of their legislators, it will go down. I would like the idea of more um, family leave. I just took two days off to go help my mom. But you need to be able to give small strapped businesses a break. Joey, you're our guy at the Capitol. Uh, how'd this all go down? What do you think? Well, there were a lot of amendments. I think there were a dozen amendments in committee the other day, and I think they were significant amendments, and they were, you know, they were to appease the business community that they liked the amendments, but they still don't like the bill. You know, they, they changed the match from 60-40 um, for businesses to 50-50. If you've got a better plan in place already, you can opt out of this, as Patty noted. And um, that, uh, and they pushed the start time back a, a year or two. So they made some changes. But, you know, I think this bill is going to, and, and this is what I'm hearing there, that this bill is going to get through. This is on the Democrats' promises kept list. And uh, this bill is as sure to be on, sorry, Krista, this bill is as sure to be on, on the governor's desk as Democrats wear cheap cologne. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm telling you, 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 no you, you just rocketed in 2019, uh, Joey. It's good to have you back. It is time for our very favorite part of the show, Disgrace of the Week. As always, Miss Calhoun, please start us off. Well, first I want to point out to Joey, we're not supposed to be sniffing people in the wake of Joe Biden's problems. So <laughs> stay away from those. So good. Quit smelling those Democrats. Uh, <laughs> speaking of family leave, I just drove in, and I use the term drive loosely from the airport this morning, because I-70... Get ready for the next few years. I-70 is going to be closed from tonight through Monday morning right at, around Colorado Boulevard while they start re- redoing some intersections. So get ready. It was already a nightmare. It's going to be a long few years. I completely agree. Joey? I'm going to do the politically correct thing and have code disgraces of the week. The first being uh, Jared Polis's dog, Gia, the terrier mix that uh, she nipped at the heels of Senator Ray Scott at a bill signing this week. And, but, you know, I wasn't there. I didn't see it. So maybe Ray Scott deserves to be a disgrace, too, because he's a big oil and gas guy, and he may have provoked the dog. <laughs> you don't get these kind of stories. We don't have somebody at the Capitol. Eric. Please don't have me uh, follow Joey in, in, in future shows. Somebody, uh, this doesn't bring me any pleasure, but I need to call out David Sirota, who was part of this table years and years Mm -hmm. ago, is a national blogger on the pretty far left of the Democratic Party. Atlantic, the Atlantic magazine, sort of busted him recently um, in masquerading as an objective journalist and Twitter guy and ripping on various Democratic presidential candidates seemingly from a neutral point of view while he was flirting with and then soon to engage with the Bernie Sanders campaign. If you're going to preach ethics and transparency, you've got to practice it. You're here. Krista. It's interesting. David Sirota has always been nice to me. I guess... Uh, <laughs> I guess he's burned a lot of bridges with Democrats. Is he trying to get you a Bernie vote? Or a <laughs> oh, we both had, share an a interest in um, uh, astronomy. Well, there you go. So there you go. Um, so Disgrace of the Week, I'm going to give it to Occupy Denver, and that's because I read a report that they've been shaking down businesses on the 16th Street Mall, getting uh, vagrants to sleep out in front of the business, which obviously hurts the business, and uh, all to try to push these businesses to oppose, or rather to embrace uh, initiative 300 and to oppose the camping ban. So shame on them. And, and they're not helping the, the homeless and they're certainly not helping Denver businesses. Totally agree on that one. Uh, time to say something nice rather quickly. Patty? Well, I'll say something nice about Sorota quickly because Atlantic had to re- correct a lot of that. He wrote for us last fall, too, and he's pretty obvious that he's opinionated, just like us at this table. But I want to say something nice about Colorado Public Radio, really great journalism on the lobbyists and their relationship with Hancock. Joey? Uh, you know, they say you can't teach an old dog new tricks. You know, when we had the bomb cyclone last month, the Senate Democrats stayed in session. The other day when we had snow, by 2 o'clock in the afternoon, the Capitol was empty except for me. <laughs> <laughs> Die hard, I love it. Eric? Yeah, not quite bomb cyclone number two. Um, one of the finer athletes that Colorado has produced and one of the finer people, Missy Franklin, this is a number of months ago, announced her retirement from competitive swimming. She was exemplary as an athlete, as a young woman. She's now exemplary in retirement and just inducted into the Colorado Sports Hall of Fame. Krista? I'm going to go with Representative Kyle Mullica. He's been pushing some legislation to make it harder to opt out of vaccinating, which is important. People need to vaccinate their kids. And this is a step in the right direction. As you know, Colorado has pretty bad vaccination rates. So getting those vaccinations rates up for the sake of all children is really important. And I think he's, he's done a great job. 
I want to remind everyone about our AARP Civic Debate Series, taking a look at the major races of the Denver City Council. Tonight at 9 p.m., we feature the candidates running for the open seat in District 3. You will not want to miss it. That is all the time we have for this episode of Colorado Inside Out. For everyone here at CPT12, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you so much for watching. Good night. Thanks.